Um, as I prepare to speak today, I want to share something with you, and this is not part of my message, okay? Um, but I want, to, I want to share something with you this week, and I want to share something with you next week to do with COVID-19 and its effect on the earth. And um, a couple of weeks ago, um, I got a couple of... Uh, statistics mixed up when I talked about the reality of what Malay, uh, what uh, COVID is doing um, around the world, and I gave a wrong uh, per day uh, death figure for what's going on in Malaysia at the moment. So I wanted to give you some statistics, and then next week I want to talk about an ethical question that every Christian must answer in their own heart to do with whether or not you should be vaccinated. Now. Um, I'm not going to address any conspiracy theories. I'm not because if I started down that road, I would be talking for the next three weeks. There are so many different streams of pseudo information out there, and so I wanted to just present this morning to you some uh, verified facts and figures from around the world about what COVID is doing around the world, and um, what I believe would appear to be the pathway forward for nations to come back into freedom from COVID-19. So uh, for those of you joining us from overseas, you, you may not be aware of this, but currently in Australia, in Sydney and Melbourne, the two biggest cities in our nation, there are 10 million people in one degree of lockdown or another, all stemming from originally one case of a limousine driver who tested positive to the Delta variant of COVID-19. And so currently, um, you know, we're getting around 100 new cases every day. Our cities are in lockdown and it's um, turning into a bit of a drama. But um, I believe it would give us a little bit of perspective to understand the impact of this COVID-19 pandemic on other places around the world. So, these are statistics that I checked as of 9 a.m. yesterday morning. That's Saturday the 17th, and you can check these for yourself. In Malaysia, for instance, currently um, every day, uh, or yesterday, there were 13,215 new cases of COVID reported, and there were 110 deaths. And that's been a seven-day average of 100, around 100 deaths per day in that nation. In the UK uh, yesterday, 47,891 cases and 63 deaths. And that figure is significantly lower for deaths because of the level of vaccination in that nation. Indonesia, 56,757 cases reported yesterday, 982 deaths. South Africa, 16,435 cases yesterday, 377 deaths. Japan, 3,420 cases, 22 deaths. Brazil, 52,789 cases, 1,548 deaths, and that's down. That's good for Brazil. Just let that kind of turn over in your mind for a minute. India, um, and I would, I would also suggest to you that some of these statistics are vastly underreported. India, 38,942 cases, 542 deaths. Here in Australia, we've had two deaths in Sydney, one of a person who was over 90 and one uh, person in their 70s. Um, 
And so then I thought about that in terms of globally and what uh, the global figure currently stands at, 4 million deaths. And you might think, well, that's a fairly insignificant figure when you compare it to the entire population of the earth. But this might help you get some perspective on this. If all those deaths were concentrated in one nation, we're talking about pretty close to New Zealand being wiped out or Ireland being wiped out, the entire population I'm talking about, the nation of Mongolia wiped out, uh, the nation of Kuwait wiped out. And for those of you who come from uh, very small nations, like for instance Tonga or Samoa, it's the equivalent of Tonga being wiped out 45 times over. So we should not be unaware that this is a serious issue around uh, the world. And there's a lot of stuff, a lot of information out there that you can get, but um, I came across something very interesting. It was a case study in um, The Lancet. The Lancet is probably the world's foremost medical journey, a journal, and they did a case study of what's happened recently in Israel. Now, in Israel, they have vaccinated nearly the whole population twice with the Pfizer vaccine. And uh, they did so towards the end of the second wave of coronavirus in that nation. And they were experiencing deaths and great sicknesses and all the rest in, and people in hospital and everything. And then when this third wave hit, the one that I'm quoting you really statistics on, because these statistics are really the, um, the third wave of COVID, the difference between um, Israel before and Israel post full vaccination is that they are still getting people diagnosed with COVID-19, but they're not ending up in hospital and they're not ending up dead. And that's just a simple, verifiable fact. What we also see is in the United Kingdom, they have made the decision that once they reach a certain percentage of the population being vaccinated, they want to open the nation back up. And in fact, that's what they've done. And so those figures that I quoted you, 47,891 cases yesterday in the UK, are uh, after the nation has been opened back up. And those 63 deaths represent a big fall from before they started vaccinating. So uh, when you talk about uh, something like the case of Israel, which is our best example because it's one of only, one of only two or three nations in the world that have been had their vast pop, the vast majority of their population vaccinated. You can see that that nation has found a way through um, the COVID nineteen crisis and dramatically reduced illness and death in their nation. Now these are just the facts. The, uh, the question that each Christian must answer in his heart is not to do with whether this is the mark of the beast, because it's not. I will just address a couple of these. It's not the mark of the beast. There is no microchip or nanochip in the COVID-19 vaccine. It's not going to alter your DNA. These things are, are untruths, and they're perpetrated by this thing called the internet. If the internet didn't exist, Half of these conspiracy theories would just fall over in the little pile that they should have stayed in when they were first created. We need to deal with these things in the spirit, but we also need to deal with them in the natural. We need to know what we're talking about 
and not be spreading disinformation. This issue has the potential to divide the church. <laughs> and uh, However, there is an ethical dilemma about whether you should be vaccinated. I'm going to address this in detail next week. I don't want to take a whole message talking about COVID because I believe God is looking for our response, our heart response to what we're walking through at the moment. He doesn't want me preaching facts and figures. He wants something of the spirit released into your lives today. But there is an ethical dilemma to do with the development of the COVID-19 vaccines and everybody's going to have to make an informed decision. And most people have actually uh, made decisions based on the wrong assumptions. I'm not going to get the COVID-19 vaccine because it's the mark of the beast. I've heard that all these people are dying from it. We need to get all those things in perspective, but next Sunday morning I'm going to present the ethical dilemma that we all face in its fullness as to do with how the vaccines are developed. And then you're going to have to make a decision in your heart and remember that your decision must always be based on faith and not on fear. Whatever decision you come to must be based on faith and not on fear. God is looking for faith. He cannot bless your fear, but he can outrageously bless your faith. <laughs> Hallelujah. I can see the incoming coming already, <laughs> but I've walked through incoming before, and I will again in the future, and I'm not afraid of it. So I want to give you a little bit of prophetic perspective about where we're at because um, God has been speaking to me um, even this week about all this, and he had me going back through my prophetic journals from last year to remind me of a couple of things. So we now are, let's see, April, May, June, July, so we're a year and four months pretty much into um, the COVID-19 crisis. And on Saturday the 14th of March 2020, this is more than a year ago, a year and four months ago, I came into this building with a tape measure to measure it up to see how many people we could put in the building because they were giving us four, I think, I can't remember if it was two square metres or four to start with, four square metres restrictions and we had to... Uh, we had to regulate the number of chairs, number of people that could come in. We had to set up a COVID-19 plan, all those things that we did. Um, so I came into this building and I'm moving chairs around. I'm measuring things up. I get in my car to go home and I've got this soaking music blasting in my car as I'm driving home. And all of a sudden, I heard the voice of the Lord speaking to me saying, I am roaring over you. This shall not come near you. And so from that day to this, almost, I would say, uh, 19 out of 20 days, I've made, uh, nine, uh, 19 out of every 20 days, I've made that declaration, just not, not just over me, but over my family, extended family, the families and extended families of our church. And from that day to this, we have not had a member or a member of our extended families affected by COVID-19. I believe that we have authority in this realm, and I'm going to be talking about that as I get into the message a little bit more. 
And then on Sunday, the 15th of March, so 2020, the very next day, I preached here and I released a prophetic word that the economic fallout from the pandemic would be a much more serious issue for Australia than the health issues. And that's exactly what our nation is walking through now. We need to know that the prophetic is important when our nation, when the world is in crisis. We need to know that there are people that are seeking the Lord, that, that, that we need to be prepared to get on our faces and hear from the Lord in these seasons. And so then I skip forward to May 2021, which is only a couple of months ago, and I released a prophetic word during... Um, our prophetic fire ministry meeting on a Saturday morning over Australia. And uh, I said that we were coming into a season of sifting so that revival can come. And this is uh, part of what I said. God has a prophetic destiny over our nation, Australia, but complacency and prosperity have put the church to a large degree to sleep. I had a vision, and in the vision, I had a picture of somebody tumbling out of their bed onto their knees because of a huge earthquake, a shaking. And as they awakened, tumbled out of bed, they landed on their knees and they stayed there and began crying out to God. And in that prophetic word, God showed me that our comfort was about to be shaken. It is being shaken now. And we will land on our knees with a fresh zeal for the things of the Lord. Awakening is coming to the church here in Australia, spearheaded by the remnant bride. God wants an authentic bride raised up out of Australia to go to the nations, tear down strongholds and bring revival. And I just want to tell you the sifting is here. You've got 10 million million people in lockdown. I want to tell you there is a degree of sifting going on in every life at the moment. And as part of that prophetic word, the Lord took me to Luke 22, 31 to 32. Pastor Anne Marie mentioned this, uh, this, um, this passage of scripture on Friday night. And in Luke 22, 31 to 32, the word says, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Remember this, where, G- where, where Simon Peter is saying, I'll never deny you, I'll never deny you. Um, And Jesus said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And one of the most significant things about this scripture is that when Jesus addresses him, he calls him Simon. He calls calls out the old identity that Simon is walking in instead of his new identity of Peter the Rock called him the rock because of the foundation that we have in Jesus. And so when I look at that word sift, I mean, uh, when you're sifting grain, it's like you're removing the chaff so that the pure grain, which can be used to make bread, um, those two things are separated. But when I look to um, the Strong's Concordance and looked at the word sifting, I found this secondary kind of interpretation where it says figuratively this means by inward agitation to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. This is how serious sifting can be. Where God, as it were, kind of takes his hands, like takes a step back to 
examine where we are and allow us to examine where we are. And sometimes, it says in this interpretation, he takes us to the verge of overthrow. And the reason that he allows that to happen is he wants us in that position of being dependent upon him and not dependent upon all the crutches that we have embraced to prop our lives up with. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I'm sure you will be aware that the sifting process is a regular one for us. I've been sifted many, many times. I'm in a sifting process at the moment. But God always has a distinct purpose to remove the impurities and remove the chaff. And so you see throughout Scripture that God uses a purification analogy time and time again. You see it in the Old Testament and you see it in the New. And that's why you see these pictures in the Bible of things like the crucible, the refiner's fire, the potter and the clay, and ultimately the cross. And so this process is meant uh, so that God can see the character of his son Jesus in us. He wants to look into me and have Jesus looking back at him. And all around the world there is a sifting going on, but here in Australia we've been for the most part protected. We've been protected by government handouts. We've been protected by our isolation from the rest of the world. But now we see as this sifting comes that there is fear running rampant. Our comfort is being shaken. The question is now will we land on our knees crying out to God with a fresh zeal for the things of the Lord and God is asking us, Will we rise from our knees as forerunners of awakening because God is releasing awakening across the earth and he wants to use you and he wants to use me? I want to impress upon you that now is the hour for the church, the ecclesia of the Lord, to arise and to shine because light is most evident in darkness. I had a vision in my heart a couple of mornings ago. And it was as if I was in a very, very deep, dark cave, hundreds of metres underground. And there were hundreds and at least there was a multitude of people in this cave with me. And their lamp had gone out. Has anybody here ever been in a cave where there is no source of light whatsoever? I'm not talking about spiritually, I'm talking about in the natural. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there spiritually, but I've also been there in the natural. And I want to tell you, when there is a complete absence of light, it is dark indeed. And so this multitude of people, their light had gone out. They could not see the exit. They could not see a way out. They could not see anything. All there was was this relentless darkness pressing in upon them. And then someone came with a lamp, a light shining in darkness and lit the way out and immediately God took me to that passage of scripture where Matthew quotes from Isaiah 9.2 which says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. 
And this is Matthew describing Jesus as he launched into his ministry. And he says that um, in Matthew 4.17, after quoting that scripture, he says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was that light. And now he has entrusted that light to you and me. But for us to be effective carriers of that light, we need to get a few things straight in terms of our heart attitude. And this is all part of this sifting process. And uh, as God had me going back through my prophetic journals and looking at uh, where we are in this season now, He took me back to um, a message that I preached quite some some time ago now, and it was out of Matthew chapter 13, and he began to give me a fresh perspective on something that Jesus taught. So I want to give you a little bit of background to this, and then I want to give you a fresh kind of revelation of this particular um, scripture. So I want to talk for a moment about scribes. You know, the Bible talks about scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and the high priests, all those guys. I want to talk about scribes for a moment. Scribes at the time of Jesus were people who acted as interpreters of the law as it pertained to everyday life. In other words, they explained how you're supposed to live in light of what God wants. And because of this, they had great power. And many of the Pharisees of Jesus' day were actually raised up out of people who had been trained as scribes. They were responsible for preserving the scriptures. They were responsible for making sure in a very meticulous way that the scriptures were accurately replicated. So, for instance, when you see the Dead Sea Scrolls, for instance, and you see that um, that copy of the great scholar of, scroll of Isaiah, which is on display in Jerusalem, it is 100% accurate, an accurate um, um, uh, replication of the book of Isaiah. But the scribes' responsibilities went far beyond that in that when people needed an interpretation of the law as it concerned their daily lives, the scribes handed down their decisions. And in that period, which is known by the modern church as the great silence between the books of Malachi and then when John the Baptist appeared, that 400 years, the scribes, the Pharisees, religious leaders took the Ten Commandments and the other commandments that you see in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and books like that, and they uh, went on to develop a much bigger picture of do's and don'ts. And they ended up with something like 613 laws that you could break at any given moment. And some of those laws were crazy. We won't go into that now because that's not where I'm going. But I just want you to see that these scribes were people who had taken what God intended as a blessing for Israel and turned it into something religious and devoid of the spirit. And you see that evidenced because if they were so intent if they were so hungry for God, if they were so passionate about the things of the Lord, they would have recognized Jesus for who he was instead of try to bring him down and have him killed and catch him in blasphemy. And so from the time that Jesus stepped into his public ministry, they were after him, they were trying to trip him up, they were trying to get him to break, uh, to admit the breaking religious law so that they could get rid of him, and he was quite happy to oblige them. 
Anybody who's seen, uh, if you've seen season two of The Chosen, one of the best TV series ever made about Jesus, you'll see him uh, deliberately breaking those laws because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the, you know. Uh, and so um, they were trying to get him to break the religious law so they could get rid of him. And so in this passage or this couple of verses of Scripture that we're going to, Jesus has just been ministering to multitudes and they are receiving healing and miracles and he's teaching them in parables. And also there in the crowd are the scribes and the Pharisees and the only reason that they're there was to catch him in speaking blasphemy so that they could have him arrested and killed. And so afterwards he took his disciples aside and he asked them a pointed question. So just get the picture. He's just been releasing healing, signs and wonders, miracles, all these things, and he's been teaching in parables. And he pulls the disciples aside straight afterwards and he says to them, Matthew 13, 51, Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? Do you get it? Do you get why I've come? Do you get who I am? Do you understand what the, what the nature and purpose of all these things I've been doing? Do you get it? And they said to him, yes, Lord. <laughs> and, of course, we know that it took Pentecost for it to fully come alive in them, not just to them, but in them. But... Jesus uh, now drew a direct comparison between his disciples and the scribes because the scribes, the disciples saw the scribes standing there taking notes. They're not taking notes because they want to be edified. They're taking notes because they want to catch Jesus and have him put to death. So they're aware of who these scribes are and why they're there. And so in response to their response, which is, yes, Lord, we understand all these things you've been doing, Matthew 13, 52, it says, Then he said to them, Therefore, because you've responded in the way that you have, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Have you ever wondered about that scripture? I certainly did. He's saying, Therefore, because you have said you understand all these things, you are now scribes of the kingdom. They were scribes of the law. You're now scribes of the kingdom. We have already seen that scribes had the authority to dispense the authority of the law. Jesus is identifying uh, his disciples as having the same level of authority as the scribes of the law who ruled the country, but the difference was that his disciples are scribes of the kingdom of heaven with kingdom authority. That's why they could heal the sick. That's why they could come back to Jesus rejoicing that even the demons bowed in his name. And so he's starting to teach them that they will have authority to impose the culture of the kingdom of heaven wherever they go. Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Once you have been instructed, trained, brought to maturity, because that's the question he asked them, do you understand all these things? They said yes. Once you've been instructed, trained, brought to maturity, he then draws another analogy. He says, you're like a householder. And I'm thinking, what has householder got to do with being a scribe? 
But when I look at the, uh, the, the Greek for the word householder that's in this scripture, I see that it comes from two Greek words. One's oikos and the other is the word for master. Now your oikos is initially your family group, but it refers to your sphere of influence. So, so your friends and your family, the place where you live, your workplace, your school, Whatever realm you are active in, that's your oikos because you have influence in it. And then the, the fact that he's saying, uh, using the word householder with the inference that you are the master of your oikos, what does that imply? That you have authority in that oikos. Jesus is saying a kingdom scribe is someone given authority over their oikos, their sphere of influence. You have influence over wherever you go, whenever you go, whoever you interact with, you come with the authority of the kingdom backing you. This is not a time for the church to be cowering in fear. This speaks of dominion, taking authority within your sphere of influence, taking back territory for the kingdom of God. A householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. It's, this one verse is rich. What are examples of these treasures that you're bringing out? The most obvious treasure I can think of that you carry is your testimony. Everybody I know who has given their life to Jesus has a testimony of how that happened and it's supernatural things that followed that intervention of God in your life. Your testimony is pure gold because it speaks of God's intervention in your life, his redemption, his salvation. Your testimony speaks more about God than it does about you. But your testimony doesn't stop there. Some people think, yes, I've got a testimony of being set free from drugs. Well, if that was 25 years ago, your testimony should consist of a lot more by now. It is meant to be built on so that as you come to maturity, as God continues to sift and refine you, he will take you into new gifts, new anointings, new levels of kingdom authority because his purpose in you is that you not only have the character of Jesus, you walk in the same power and authority. The Bible says that he who believes in Jesus will do greater things than Jesus himself did. Because he went back to the Father and he gave us the light to take into that cave where multitudes are turning around in circles wondering what the way out is. I know this is digging deep. Let me go on with this. Every householder, those with authority over their oikos, brings out of their treasure, in other words, that which has been imparted to them, the things they have stored up in their heart, the treasures of heaven, things new and things old. The phrase things new and old speaks not just of our history with God or, in fact, mankind's history with God, what God has done in the past, but it also speaks of the new things that God will do. And when I looked at that um, expression, things new and old, I also discovered that it is a Jewish idiom that speaks of great plenty. 
So when he's talking about us as masters of our oikos, bringing out our treasures out of uh, bring out of our treasure things new and old, he's talking about an endless supply of his goodness. That there are new things that he wants to do every day, and he wants to do them through you and I. There is no lack in the kingdom of heaven. And I can tell you from a joyful and painful experience that I have not always had everything that I wanted since the day that I gave my life to Jesus, but I've always had more than I needed. God is faithful. And so I'm thinking about um, this challenge, in effect, that Jesus is presenting to his disciples to be these householders, these scribes, these people with authority. And as I was meditating on it, I felt the Lord take me to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer because Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a declaration. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, sickness and lack and disease and pandemics and demons are illegal. They cannot exist there. God invites us to partner with heaven to bring what we know of heaven into our oikos, into the sphere of influence that we have. How does his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? It's done through us. He has commissioned us as carriers of his presence. Each one of us has the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. God is always doing something uncommon, something unprecedented. If we are to walk in authority, our response to times of crisis must be from a kingdom perspective because we are kingdom scribes given kingdom authority and he wants to release uncommon, unprecedented kingdom treasures to us so that we can bring out those kingdom treasures to those around us in kingdom authority in whatever they face. I don't know how many times I said the word kingdom then, but I said it quite a few times. We have to have a kingdom mindset, not a worldly one. While we are asked to deal with the realities of what we walk in, our perspective must be one of kingdom, that we see our situation from above and not below. We are not a multitude stuck in a cavern of darkness. We are the light in that darkness. I still haven't finished with that one verse of Scripture. One verse of Scripture can speak volumes. Finally, I want to examine the idea where he says, every scribe instructed in the things of the kingdom brings out of his treasure. Brings out. That word brings out. The word that Jesus used when talking about how they were to disperse or dispense these treasures, bring out, is the Greek word ekbalo which means a violent thrusting forth. 
It's the same word that Jesus used when he spoke of laborers in the harvest. Remember Matthew 9, 37 to 38, when he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out. That phrase send out in Greek is ekbalo, to thrust forth violently into the harvest. And his disciples didn't get it straight away. We've had a couple of thousand years. <laughs> We've had a couple of thousand years, generation after generation after generation of believers who have uh, wrestled with Scripture, wrestled with God, <laughs> had their hips displaced in some cases, getting to the truths of God. And in this season where God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit, we need to understand that sometimes it takes a great thrusting forth. It takes a great ekbalo on our part. It takes a determination. And if you see yourself as somebody lost in that darkness, in that cavern, waiting for the light to come, you're on the wrong page. <laughs> you know, the media loves to use... Um, that expression be on the right side of history. Jesus is the right side of history. His disciples didn't get it straight away, but we must. For the sake of the kingdom that we serve, we must take and apply what Jesus says to us, that we are rich in the treasures of the kingdom. If you've been in the kingdom for 24 hours, you are richer than Bill Gates. In the spirit, if Bill Gates is not saved. I don't know whether he is or isn't. I'm not getting into that. For the sake of the kingdom, we must take and apply what Jesus says to us. We are rich in the treasures of the kingdom with great authority in the things of the kingdom. The treasures of that kingdom are both ancient in the sense of what God is and what he has done in the past, but, they, but also new treasures, fresh Novel, uncommon, unprecedented. I believe that God has a special um, anointing that he wants to release on the church in the realm of creativity, the creative arts, songwriting, painting, uh, all, all the, that sphere of the arts. God wants to release a fresh creative outpouring. You know, during the Renaissance, um, when... Uh, when the, the church began building all those big cathedrals, did you know that the most highly regarded form of music on the face of the earth was sacred worship music? The most anointed musicians on the face of the earth were people who wrote music for God. Now, it doesn't have to sound like the St. Matthew Passion by Johann Sebastian Bach. Right for his creative impetus to come upon us as worshippers. All it takes is the Spirit of the Lord to take a phrase that he drops into our spirit and anoint it and put music about around it, and it will speak to people's hearts. God wants to release through us the expansion of the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking of our authority, of how... We have been discipled in the things of the kingdom of how we have a dominion mandate over our oikos or sphere of influence, that we are not commissioned to timidly advance the kingdom. Oh, have you heard about Jesus? Let me tell you about the God who rescued me out of the gutter and turned my life around. It is time that we began to speak of what God has done for us with the authority of the kingdom. We're not called to timidly advance the kingdom, but that the treasures we have been entrusted with, the ancient truths 
wrapped in fresh manifestations. How we need a fresh manifestation of creative miracles, of healing, signs and wonders. We've seen those things, but Lord, we want more. And, and so we are to be thrust forth into the darkness. And in that darkness, we thrust forth the light. You need to get a revelation of Ekbalor. <laughs> We're going to be Ekbalor into the darkness and we are going to Ekbalor light into the darkness and people will come to the light. So, let me ask you a question. Are you a scribe of the kingdom? I hope none of you are going, I'm a scribe of the law. <laughs> Wrong covenant. Are you a scribe of the kingdom? Because that's your destiny. Before I conclude this message, let me go back to the two visions I mentioned earlier. In one, I saw a violent shaking where somebody was thrown out of bed. In fact, I can say that that person that was asleep, the great shaking came and that person was ekbalowed out of their slumber and landed on their knees. I saw it in a vision. And instead of going, oh, no, 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 what am I going to do now? They, there was like this default response within them, Lord. They started crying out to God. The zeal for the things of the Lord fell upon them as they fell upon their knees. Awakening came from that posture. Awakening comes from prayer. If you have never spent half an hour on your face before God, I challenge you to do it tonight, tomorrow morning, this afternoon, now. Spend that time in the presence of the Lord and watch what happens because you will get up out of that posture and your mind will have experienced a measure of renewal that you didn't have when you planted your face in the dirt before God. Are you watching and praying and living out of the word and prophesying with authority into the lives and situations that you see around you or are you cowering in darkness because God keeps impressing upon me we are not to be cowering in darkness in this season. It doesn't matter what we see around us. We are not. We, we belong to the kingdom of heaven before we belong to a nation. And in that second vision, which God is really pulling me into, even as I'm preaching, where I saw people lost in a cave, they had lost their light and they were in darkness and they could not see a way out. And then someone came with a light. Are you prepared to be thrust forth, ekbalod, <laughs> into places of great darkness so that those lost and trapped in darkness can find their way out. How are they going to find their way out? They're going to follow you because you carry the light. That means that not only do you have kingdom authority and kingdom light, but you have a kingdom responsibility to live a life that they want to emulate. The world's seen plenty of fake Christians. This is not the season for fake Christians. This is a season for us to rise into maturity. Are 
Are you prepared to be thrust forth, ekbalod, in the places of great darkness so those lost and trapped in darkness have a way out? Because if you are, this is what God has in store for us now, this season. It's here. It's upon us. He's challenging us in every area of our lives and ministries. And you might think to yourself that, and like I was, early this morning I was thinking, how do I tie the end of this message together? What is it you want people to take from this, Lord? And I felt the Lord uh, draw me to a misconception that I believe many believers have, that oh, I'm not anointed enough, you know, I'm not mature enough. I've only been a Christian for a little while and I hear people talk with so much more authority than me and I see people moving signs and wonders and all this stuff and I don't do that and it must be for them. It's not really for me because I've got to grow a bit more. Judas healed the sick. Even somebody who had a wrong hard attitude operated in the things of the kingdom. How much more does God have in store for those with a heart that's pure toward him? See, if you are prepared to be thrust forth, if you do have that determination in your heart, God will do it. God will use you. And here's what he took me to. If I can get the worship team to come back up. Um, see, he wants to take you and thrust you forth carrying the kingdom. Ekbalod, indeed. <laughs> you know, I was talking about um, how in this interaction with his disciples, after he had been working all these signs and wonders and miracles, healing and all those things, and, and he was talking to people in parables, God took me uh, to the parable of the talents to illustrate to you that it doesn't matter how little you think you carry. Because it is an absolute kingdom principle, in fact a kingdom law, if you will, that your faithfulness with whatever God has entrusted to you results in multiplied authority. Now, you might think that your faithfulness with the tithe is what uh, gives you the capacity to receive more in the financial realm. And I believe that that's true because the Word of God says that he multiplies back to the sower. However, in the parable of the talents, he's talking to people that have been entrusted with something precious. And when... Uh, the man with the, when the servant with the ten talents comes back to him, and this is not about how much you've got, it's what God gives you in response to your faithfulness. What this, uh, what this servant did, this kingdom servant did, 
was he took what had been entrusted to him and he sowed it as hard as he could. He invested it, he invested it, he invested it because he wanted, when his master came back, he wanted to say to him, look, you gave me this and I have made it this. I've been faithful. And this is what the master said to that faithful servant, Luke 19, 17. He said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. The principle here is that when God entrusts you with something, no matter how big or how small, in response to your faithfulness, he releases kingdom authority. If you want to be a mature kingdom scribe operating in the ways of the kingdom, sow what you have in every realm that you operate in, into the kingdom. So out of what you have been given, so that when he comes to you and says, what are you doing at the moment with what I've entrusted to you? You can say to him, Lord, you gave me this much. This is what I've been doing with it. This is the return on your investment so far. And he turns around and says, oh, well, I'm going to bless you in this realm, this realm, this realm, this realm, but I want you to have authority over cities. Take what you have. Take what you carry, no matter how little or how big you think it is. Pour it out as an offering to the Lord and watch him multiply it in this season of awakening because I want to declare to you today in the name of the Lord that awakening is here if we will just take up our mantles, receive our mandate and walk into the destiny that God has appointed us as forerunners of revival in this nation so that Australia can become a mission-sending nation that blesses all the nations on the face of the earth with the tearing down of strongholds and with revival. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before the worship team starts, I want to close with a blessing over you. Lord, for everybody watching on live stream, for those in our worship team and in our tech team, I release this blessing, Lord, that Father God, that when they return home today, as they examine their storehouses, as they examine their treasuries, they will uh, have fresh creative inspiration in how you want them to uh, invest those things in the kingdom so that, Father God, authority can be mass manifested in and through them. I bless them, Father God, with the multiplication of authority because they respond to your word and not to the circumstances around them. I declare over every Christian that is watching this telecast today that you will walk in kingdom authority, that you will invade those caverns of darkness and people who are looking for a light will see it in you and follow you out of their darkness into the place of the light. I declare over you that no word, no work, no weapon formed against you shall prosper that comes from the enemy. You might be walking through a fight at this moment, but the Lord has your back. He has your front. He has you surrounded, and he intends for you to walk through this in victory. And when you do, you will know the victory comes with more authority. You will be promoted to a bigger battle. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. And you will be victorious in that battle and in every battle until Jesus returns. Thank you, worship team. Yeah. <laughs>